0: So welcome to the Fallon Forum. We're kicking it off here. Charles Goldman will be joining us a little bit later in the program. Joseph Glazeberg with me here. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in today. We're going to live stream the very first segment of the show, then we'll move on to uh, uh, taking callers at 515-528-8122, and you'll be welcome to join this program uh, with your thoughts and opinions right after we take a short break from the live stream at uh, at 11.15. So... Um, yeah, take a second to uh, recognize some of the underwriters of this program. Uh, underwriting provided by Gateway Market and Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. A grocery store and also noted for its uh, breakfast, lunch, and supper cafe and a catering service as well. Underwriting also provided by Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. Diversity offers policies for home, car, property, life, and more. Visit diversity or mydiversityinsurance.com. Okay, so on today's program, we're gonna later we'll be talking about Trump's love fest with uh, Vladimir Putin. We'll also talk about some of the breaking developments on climate change, including the oil spill in Northwest Iowa. We'll also uh, talk about how some new scientific scientific information should put the debate, if it wasn't already, well beyond anyone who thinks that denial is a legitimate position. But before we get to that, I want to welcome uh, Joseph Glaesburg to the show. We're going we're gonna to kick it off. We're going to talk about uh, deportation and the breaking up of families as well. But let's start by taking a look at Brett, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, we've got a Supreme Court nominee, uh, the second one for Trump. Uh, he's got two years under his belt, almost, not quite. He's already had two nominees He is remaking the face of the U.S. Supreme Court. So, I mean, it it looks like there may be a a snag in the whole plan to get Kavanaugh on the court. Uh, It looks like Rand Paul is having some misgivings. What are your thoughts on
1: this? Well, you know, I don't trust Rand Paul. I think, you know, he also had misgivings about uh, the tax bill and he ended up voting for it. He also has been... Tweeting inexplicably the last couple of days in support of Donald Trump with regard to foreign policy on Russia and with some other things that are just very different from most Republicans. So he's, he's always been an oddball. But, you know, I, I think I don't see him voting against this nominee. He voted for Neil Gorsuch. This guy is basically Neil Gorsuch, but um, uh, just a little bit worse, actually. How so? Well, he's an extreme conservative. He was groomed by the Federalist Society, which is a group that Basically, he tries to indoctrinate legal-minded people, scholars, judges, lawyers, to have a extremely conservative mindset. And the thing that worries me most about Brett Kavanaugh isn't his position on the issues that we usually associate with the Supreme Court, like marriage equality or abortion or affirmative action, although he's terrible on all of those things. Uh, my biggest concern with him is his view of the Constitution in general, and frankly, he has this extreme view that some conservatives have been trying to promote for years about the power of the executive branch relative to the other two branches.
0: Right, and uh, and, and there's even legislation being discussed that would f- further uh, solidify that power, if I understand that correctly.
1: Well, I mean, he uh, wrote a, a paper that called for Congress to pass legislation to I- exempt uh, the president. Uh, from questioning in civil and possibly criminal cases, you know let me let me just kind of step back for a second so you know the the Constitution of the United States basically vests the executive authority um, in the in the president, so that's not controversial. The president is in charge of carrying out the law that Congress passes, uh, but there's also a provision in the Constitution that says uh, that the Senate uh, has to confirm certain appointments and that the Congress may establish certain Uh, inferior offices in the executive branch that don't require confirmation. So the Constitution kind of anticipates that the executive power is with the president, but that Congress is involved in setting up those executive branch agencies and appointing people to them, or at least approving of those appointments, so back in the '70s during Watergate, um, Congress passed the special counsel law. They also subpoenaed the president by the way, and the United States Supreme Court unanimously said that that subpoena was valid that Nixon had to hand over his uh, Watergate tapes mm-hmm. so that was that that, actually, that case that first case was whether um, whether the actually it wasn 't Congress it was these, the independent counsel subpoenaed the president. And so the question was whether the independent counsel, who is technically an executive branch inferior officer, could subpoena the president who led the executive branch. It's like the executive branch subpoenaing itself, basically. And the court unanimously said that's fine. You know, there's a role for Congress to play. They set up this independent counsel law and it's acting independently. There's no problem with that. Then later in the 80s, there's this case called Morrison versus Olson, 8 to 1, ruled that the independent counsel law itself was constitutional. Brett Kavanaugh has come in now, and he said, I would overrule that case. That's the single case out of all of the cases that the Supreme Court has ever decided. That's the one he identified that he would overrule. And based on the votes of several other members of the court in recent years and some right. related cases, we think that he might actually constitute a fifth vote majority to to overrule. How, how would that impact Mueller's investigation into collusion with, uh, with Russia? That's a, yeah, so what would happen there – um, Robert Mueller was appointed under a set of regulations that that's different from the Independent Counsel law. So the Independent Counsel law expired um, in the early 2000s, and in its place, the executive branch came up with these rules within the statutory framework of the Department of Justice to provide for the appointment of a separate prosecutor who's somewhat independent, although still technically under the purview of the Justice Department. Under under the Attorney General, or in this case, because he's recused under Rod Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General. Those regulations would be subject to, uh, well, there's a real question about whether the president can summarily fire uh, Robert Mueller or whether he has to have Rod Rosenstein fire Robert Mueller. That's a valid question. But either way, the president probably has the ability to blow up that investigation as things stand under current law. So the question is, could Congress come in and appoint an independent counsel like they did in the 70s? And... Every reasonable legal scholar says yes, but this extreme executive branch view of government that Brett Kavanaugh and his right-wing colleagues advocate for says no, that there is no role to play for Congress to check an out-of-control executive. But
0: couldn't that come back to bite them? I mean, we're not going to have a Republican president forever. We're not going to have a Republican Congress forever. Couldn't that come back to bite the Republicans?
1: It could uh, if there was a corrupt Democratic president at some point the Congress would be hard-pressed to investigate that president. But let me tell you this little fact. If you look at indictments of executive branch officials over the last 50 years, I mean, you'll see a huge uptick in the Nixon administration, obviously. And do you know what the second most indicted administration in the last 50 or 60 years was?
0: Not even going to venture
1: a guess. It was the Reagan administration, not the Clinton administration. The Clinton administration only had like six or seven people getting died. It. It's not good, but it's not. It's <laughs> only no, it's only nothing, six or seven. nothing I mean, compared to the 20 or 30 in the Reagan administration, nothing compared to the 50 or 60 in the Nixon administration. By the way, uh, Trump administration, um, you know, if, if you include only executive branch officials.
0: And don't count Russians.
1: Uh, we don't count the Russians. <laughs> we already have uh, a, a handful. Um, I think that by the time they're done, I think it's going to be in excess of Nixon unless... Unless the court comes in and and stops uh, stops those from happening, so I
0: would think with with those concerns about Kavanaugh,
1: you would see other Senate
0: Republicans, U.S. Senate Republicans, stating that their opposition to him as the nominee. No, yeah, well, uh,
1: so it's it's complicated. I think that most Republicans <clears throat> in the Senate have a very right wing view of the executive branch in general. Like anybody who's kind of a war hawk. Who likes um, ag- aggressive foreign policy? They're going to have a pretty a deferential view to the executive branch to begin with. Anybody who likes the idea of you know law and order, uh, Republicans, if 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 there are such things anymore, is going to like the executive branch, uh, that that extreme view of the executive branch. So I think most of the opposition to to Kavanaugh in the Senate from potentially Republican senators isn't about executive branch issues. That's kind of an esoteric thing for most people. Most people don't think about whether Congress has a role to play in appointing inferior officers in the executive branch. They think about – You know, uh, kitchen table issues and issues that affect their life, like women's rights or like money in politics, which he's terrible on. So if you look at the two uh, senators, Senators uh, uh, Collins from Maine and Senator Murkowski from Alaska, their main concern is whether he's going to be vehemently anti-abortion, which he is. And the question is whether he says that and whether he's honest about it in the committee hearings. And he probably won't be.
0: Yeah. So um – Paul though I mean you mentioned uh, you mentioned the uh, you know aggressive role uh, of some Republicans in foreign policy Rand Paul is on the opposite side of that yeah that's he's more aligned he's more aligned with the, uh, the, the the peace coalition of the Democratic Party when it comes to foreign policy
1: there's there's, uh, there's a that's true and I think that he would not approve of Expanding the power of the executive branch in the abstract. So I, you know, if you were to sit him down in a room and ask him that question, should the executive branch be able to nullify um, attempts by Congress to create inferior branch officers to investigate corruption in the executive branch, Rand Paul would probably say that's fine. But if you tell him, are you going to vote against Kavanaugh, he would probably say, no, I'm going to vote for him because so,
0: of politics. So you think he's posturing for uh, some political gain? I might vote No. But in the end, he knows he's going to. But in the process of thus posturing, he's going to gain some political favors that could benefit him or his constituency. That's that's my speculation.
1: Maybe. I, it could be that. But I, I just – it's not even that I don't believe him when he talks about his skepticism of the executive branch. I think that the real issue is that he has said that on other issues before and he always votes with the president. He He has talked a good game, but he never votes – the way he talks, he always votes to rubber stamp whatever Trump wants yeah. to do. Much.
0: Isn't part of his current concern also the excessive uh, the extent to which the federal government has been uh, invading people's private lives?
1: There's. I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, he
0: sees Kavanaugh is only furthering that uh, that invasion.
1: Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, Republicans always talk about how they favor a limited government. But then they go around and they they want people on the Supreme Court who who are who are literally going to expand vastly the power of the federal government like Kavanaugh will. And it's, it's so hypocritical. Rand Paul is the, maybe the one guy who actually puts his money where his mouth is at least a little bit on on some of those issues. He's been very skeptical of uh, the FISA courts and of uh, attempts by the federal law enforcement agencies to, uh, to get into people's private lives. And so he has raised some valid concerns there with Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh is very anti-defendant, very pro-government when it comes to uh, law enforcement issues. And so, uh, uh, you know, that could be a stumbling block. But again, I just don't believe him when he says he's not going to vote for this guy. So
0: for people who have reservations about Kavanaugh as the nominee, is, is there uh, is there still action that they could or should take in order to try to
1: change the, the, uh, the heart and mind of the U.S. Senate? Absolutely. Um, anybody who is opposed to the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh, uh, should absolutely be calling their senators uh, right now. And we have a, just a couple months before you know, the vote probably is going to be scheduled. Hopefully we can get it stalled until after the election, but you know, right now is the time to be calling. Uh, we, we've got to get this stopped. And really the people who, who are going to make the most difference are people in Maine, Alaska, I guess Kentucky, uh, a couple of these swing states. Maybe some folks in Arizona can convince Jeff Flake to do the right thing or John, yeah. well, John McCain's probably not going to vote on it, but um, yeah. You know, there's a few, there's a few options, and I really think the best hope is probably Murkowski or, or Collins. Yeah. Well, so yeah, the, I mean, I've and, been calling frequently. I'm not optimistic about Grassley or Ernst, but uh, yeah. Well, for those who
0: live in Maine or Arizona, Kentucky, yeah. right. Alaska, get on the phone, talk to your state, and, and call talk your friends to U.S. senators. There. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's, it's – it's, and, and actually, if you live anywhere, you should be talking – you should always be talking to your state senators, your, your, your U.S. senator, your U.S. Congress critters, um, and also those who are in the state legislature, of course,
1: as well. It's really important that people engage wherever you are at on an issue. Can I make one last point on this, Ed? Sure, yeah. So elections have consequences. Probably the most lasting legacy of any president is who they put on the court. Even presidents from both parties who were perceived as uh, not sufficiently um, liberal or conservative, depending on which party they're in, nonetheless tended to appoint justices that carried out the agenda of their party. Uh, Bill Clinton, who is often thought of as a moderate president for Democrats, appointed Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Stephen Breyer to the court, and they're both still on the court um, voting for liberal positions on issues like Citizens United and affirmative action and abortion. So if you If you have a a, a strong progressive mindset and you want to make a, a big difference um, you got to understand that every single election is crucial, and you have to vote for somebody who has a chance of getting elected who can put people on the court and If you sit out an election because you 're not satisfied with the candidate, this is what you get you know you get the other side appointing radicals to the court and they 're going to be on there for forty years so if you didn 't vote for Hillary Clinton because you had a uh, disagreement with her on some issue. Well, guess what? This is what you get for it.
0: You know, and and a lot of a lot of appointees to the court, whether made by Democratic or Republican presidents in the past, or at the state level by Democratic or Republican governors, tend to be more tend to be more moderate, more balanced. We've seen, uh, I, I, I think, we've seen some real extremism uh, yeah. in this administration that we haven't seen in in previous years. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk next. We're going we're to talk about the um, the issue of uh, family separation at the border and how uh, a judge in um, uh, California, Dana Sabra, who was appointed by George Bush, is very much opposed to a lot of the rhetoric that's coming out of the, the White House. So we'll talk about that in a minute, Joseph. You can stick around for another segment. Sure. Okay, folks, if you're listening on live stream, uh, thank you. And you can tune in to the rest of the program online at fallonforum.com slash listen. Again, we'll keep this uh, running while I make a couple uh, couple uh, comments about some of the local businesses that provide underwriting, and while I'm doing that, we're going to bring Charles Goldman into the set. So you're going to see some, you're going to hear some juggling going on here. We can we can cut the live stream now, Maria. We're going to um, see some juggling here uh, <laughs> in the studio. But while we're doing that, I'm going to um, thank. I'm going to thank uh, a couple of the other uh, local businesses that help underwrite this program. I want to reference. Um, want to reference uh, Community CPA and Associates. Uh, Community CPA uh, has offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. They provide tax, audit, accounting, and business restructuring services. Uh, you can learn more at communitycpa.com. Also, I want to recognize the underwriting provided by Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street in Des Moines between Locust and Grand. Uh, Ritual serves fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and they've got an all-vegetarian menu. You can learn more at RitualCafeDesMoinesIowa.net. Actually, that's the Cafe DSM, Iowa, dot net. Okay, so uh, Charles Coleman, welcome to the show. Thanks. You may, ne- <clears throat> you may never extricate me from this chair, but... because <laughs> right, Charles just... uh has fr- got my hip replaced on Thursday. And he did it himself. <laughs> he's, got a, he's, got a, he's got a kid you can use at home to do your own hip surgeries. <laughs> Well, I know I don't think you did that. No. But I do think you were awake during it.
2: Well, I, I think I want to a point on to what Joseph was talking about. Um I think some people are out there um assuaging themselves with the idea of the surprise candidate. You know, and they talk about um uh Souter in particular turning out to be much more uh liberal than um Expected, but that's not going to happen anymore. I mean, with the Federalist Society, I mean these these people have been cloned since law school, um, <laughs> and they are not going to be different on the bench than
1: they already are. One hundred percent correct. I mean, these this society, this Federalist <clears throat> Society, is is a it's a machine. It's a conservative judge machine. All it's designed to do is to indoctrinate um, talented young lawyers to become extreme radical conservatives. And it's it's baked into the fabric. It's really not. We don't, we don't see judges shifting uh, the same way we once did, which was actually a good thing. I thought you know, we had Justice Stevens and, and Justice Blackman, who were both Republican appointees, who became very moderate, and it, uh, Stevens became quite liberal. Um, we actually had Justice White, who was appointed by Kennedy, become somewhat conservative. I mean, there's. I think it's fine for judges to have complex and nuanced views on issues. They shouldn't be uh, doctrinaire, if uh, you know, but. But nowadays, that's not, that's not the game we're playing. On either side, frankly, but especially on the right, they're they just baked in. Yeah, and
0: it, it it does seem like it's become a lot worse. I mean, you, you people point to Clarence Thomas as an example of someone who's ideologically extreme, but—
2: uh, I mean, you don't even need, really need to argue the case in front of Thomas. You pretty much know what he's going to write before—Gorsuch, yeah. too, really.
0: Yeah, huh. All right. So, hey, on another uh, another related issue, related because it's involving the courts, the um, the international outrage over the separation of families at the border, and um, the action of one judge uh, again, a judge appointed by President Bush, a federal judge in California, um, the uh, Dana Sabra, um, ruled against the. Well, he basically said, you've got to reunite those families, and you've got you've got um, You've got a short window to do that, and um, I, July twenty-six is the deadline. That's this week, and it does not seem that the Department of Health and Human Services is moving very quickly to accomplish that. What, um, what? I mean, is it possible that the administration will will just you know, bum its nose at the 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 court, the its own its own court system? What do you think is likely to happen? Because the judge was pretty clear about about the um, the wrongness of the president's decision on. On separating families. And he called for a pretty quick turnaround to get those twenty five hundred you know kids reunited. Uh, what do you think? Are they, are they, is, is the federal government is is the Trump administration, let's say, going to be able to push back against this and ignore the requirement, the demand of the court?
1: Well, so far they've tried a little bit. I mean, there was one uh, – this reunification order was uh, two-part. It basically said anybody under – I think it was under seven had to be within uh, 14 days and everybody else within 30 days. Um, They already missed that 14-day deadline to reunite the the youngest of children They of the – I think it was like 150 under the age of seven, they only, they were only able to reunite about 100 of them. So there's something like 50 that they didn't get. And and so they walked into court and they said, look, judge, we're just having trouble. You know, they basically implied they couldn't find some of these parents. And that's true. They've lost, they've lost people. And God knows whether they'll ever see their, their parents again, uh, based on our government. But You know, they basically came into court and said we couldn't find them or we couldn't get it done. And the judge said, well, come back into court tomorrow and tell me why. Or, you know, basically the judge said you can if you can if you have a really good reason on a case by case basis, maybe I'll give you a little bit of a break. But generally speaking, the judge has not been very uh, uh, lenient and has said you need to either get these people back together. You need to have a really good reason. Why not? And if you don't, I'm going to hold you in contempt. Yeah, I
2: mean... It, what's strange is the mechanism for tracking people was in place before this all started. And, in fact, that was their original argument was, well, we know where everyone is because we've been doing this for a while. How all of a sudden this process has um, changed to the point that they can't – well, I, I guess the deal now is is that because they're making the deals with the parents to, to send them right back, that's why now you've got the kids separated, truly separated from the – from the parents, and now they're having to do the thing with the DNA testing to see if they can prove whose parents or whose, and um, and it's it's just obviously a disaster at the border, which is not going to be fixed. And I don't think the administration has any real intention to fix it because it's a, it's a disincentive for people to present
0: themselves at the border. Well, President Trump did experience some uh, enough political blowback that he he uh, you know he. It basically backstepped it a bit with, you know, and I can't remember the the details of the uh, things move so fast anymore. Just like he backstepped a bit from his uh, conversation with President, uh, with with Vladimir Putin. Well, he
2: backstepped (laughs) it enough to take it off of the lead story. And then, of course, there was the disgusting moment when his daughter thanked President Trump for reuniting um, a family, which they made a big deal of. But in point of fact, nothing much has truly changed at the border. It's just our our attention is diverted elsewhere.
0: Would you agree with that, Joseph?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, he did an executive order uh, a couple weeks into this controversy. I mean, first of all, it should be noted that they were separating families for several weeks before it really became a huge story. (laughs) So by the time that he did his executive order, I think something like six weeks had gone by, and there were something like 3,000 people separated. Um, You know, and the thing is, as— people have observed, all, all the other presidents up to this point didn't feel the need to, to enforce the law in this way. In fact, the judge in this order that you're talking about said that there really wasn't a good basis to enforce the law in this way. Um, you know, Obama had the same legal parameters or restrictions on how you could detain people that Trump did, but Obama's uh, uh, method was okay well if somebody comes here without uh, papers we're we're going to uh, issue them a summons to court and, and maybe in some cases do an ankle bracelet but basically give them their court date and then it, when they come come into court if they have a valid claim for asylum they'll stay but if they don't they'll be deported but we're not going to take their kids away in the meantime so that was a pretty reasonable way to handle it but Trump of course decided to go the complete opposite direction and then as you point out when he got caught he did the executive order saying he wasn't going to do – I mean, it, it didn't even prevent him from doing it more. It just said we're not going to, as a general policy, do that. I would think
0: if that executive order was issued with any kind of sincerity, that he would be taking uh, the California you know, Federal District Judge's advice – or not advice, re- requirement – as seriously and would be working really hard toward immediate unification. I mean, he's got well, – this
2: there's week. Well, is nothing sincere about it.
0: This is Steve Miller's <laughs> <laughs>
2: policy – Steve Miller, his advisor, is a kid who went to Santa Monica High School with a bunch of other liberal, mostly Jewish kids, who resented that they spoke Spanish there, and nobody liked him. And Steve Miller is playing out his own psychopathology on the rest of the country right now (laughs) through Trump, who doesn't care one way or the other.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, (laughs) well, I think he does. I think Trump is, is similarly racist, and I think he finds a certain amount of joy in, in tormenting uh, communities that he, he finds A, racially repugnant and B, politically uh, advantageous to attack because it fires up I think it's the latter. I think mean, it's both.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you can't say what he says about people calling them vermin and right. insects, essentially, and not be a racist. But really, it's about it's politically advantageous to the unfortunate 45% of this country that voted for this man.
0: Well, 40, 45 percent of the 50 percent that actually voted. Right. So percent like <laughs> right. yeah. Well, yeah, right. that's true. exactly a mandate. We are in a country with the lowest particip- participation
2: rate in, in national elections in the right. world. That should developed. say
0: volumes, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what happens next with this, but uh, I, I see the Trump administration probably doubling down. Um, I do I mean, imagine. At least through the
2: election. Because this yeah. is going to be this is their big issue.
0: Yeah, but I do imagine that they're going to be losing. They've they've got to be losing some support among their base because not not all people who supported Trump are that callous. And those photographs of those kids being separated from their parents have got to be tugging on the heartstrings of some of those you know Trump supporters. And do you think you'll see a single Democratic ad
2: showing those
1: pictures? It depends on the district. Actually. I would think so. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I yeah. hope so. Yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, that was one of the issues. You know, the. A lot of pollsters have been talking, you know, and and one of the issues that really permeated was this family separation issue. The other one was his Helsinki, uh, you know, treason on camera moment. But but the uh, immigration issue... Which w- normally, like in a vacuum, polls slightly in favor of the Republican viewpoint, you know, kind of tough on immigration in the abstract. But if you take the family separation issue, the polling was two to one against it. So it was wow. it was one of those issues yeah. that actually broke through a little bit, even for moderate Republicans. And, and given
0: that, I'm surprised that the Trump administration isn't taking Judge Sewell's more, uh, requirement more seriously.
1: I don't think – I think that, A, and you implied this, Charles, that the, the – you know, the the – office of refugee resettlement is being run in an incompetent manner i mean that's for sure and they just don't have the resources it's been defunded and underfunded
0: okay hey a quick uh, a quick um shout out to uh uh to uh, to the lorena the uh, studio that makes this program possible we've got more conversation for your folks and when we come back we'll take your calls at 515-528-8122 515-528-8122 more coming on the fallon forum broadcasting from des moines iowa Welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here broadcasting live from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. I want to do a quick shout out to some of the local businesses that underwrite this program. Underwriting provided by Sargent's Garage, located north of downtown Des Moines. Since 1997, Sargent's has worked on all makes and models of both domestic and import vehicles. Underwriting also provided by Story County Veterinary Clinic, operated by Dr. Kim Holding, who has practiced veterinary medicine in central Iowa for over 30 years. Underwriting also provided by Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Underwriting also provided by Catering by Sid, owner Sid Cohn uses fresh local ingredients in all of her catering arrangements. Every one of them is custom-made. Okay, thanks for uh, sticking with the uh, conversation here on the Fallon Forum. If you'd like to join the conversation, we welcome calls during this part of the program. 515-528-8122. 528-8122. Just a look ahead. We'll be talking about prison reform Trump style later. We'll be talking about climate change and how the U.S. has become the largest oil producer in the world. We'll talk about the oil spill in northwest Iowa. Um, But first... Dr. Charles Goldman with us, and uh, we want to take a look at the the newest and most um, most uh, charming love affair on planet Earth, and that is between uh, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Um, <laughs> what, what, what do you think, Charles? <laughs> um, and he's coming to town. Uh, he's coming to town on Thursday. Oh, no, no, no! Uh, Trump is coming to Iowa, but yeah. Putin is coming to the White House. That's
2: correct. In that in town, sometime, sometime, sometime in the fall. Right. Um. You know, as with many things Trump, I thought that the whole conversation got so overheated and so misdirected. Um, I I think if you think it through, okay, if Trump is truly an agent of Russia, the last thing he would have done was what he did at that press conference because – any anybody who's working as an agent of Russia would want to appear not to be an agent but of Russia. But
0: anybody saying he's an agent of Russia, I don't, I don't hear that being proposed. Well, if you're calling him having committed treason, I, you know, I. Well, it, you didn't can, you can, you can create treason because you're clumsy. No, no, tre, treason <laughs> is a volitional act. Well, yeah, but you, you can be, yeah, and so is tripping and falling. But you can still, I mean, you you can still just set yourself up for failure, and and I think that's the argument that he's. He's just By design, he's setting, his, he's, setting some, he's setting himself up because of his thirst for power and his attraction to strong dictatorial leaders. He sets himself up to be in a position where he's going to be treasonous in his behavior, even if he may not even think that's what he's doing.
2: Well, it, it's interesting because I thought actually the biggest story of the three, which was the press conference, the indictment of the 12 Russian intelligence agents, and this student – uh, who spent a lot of time with the NRA? Of the three of those stories, I think actually the story about the student journalist with the NRA is the most interesting one. Uh, brief us on that. Well, a subtext of what's been going on for quite a while. Remember, Trump is, in, in in many ways, an ideological. I mean, he simply is interested in power, and in pissing in in pissing off liberals, um, and. The um, the fact is that there has been an unholy alliance between the Russians and the fundamentalist right wing of this country that's been going on for decades. You know, people like Franklin Graham holding um, conferences over in Russia for anti-LGBT it makes issues. Makes you long for
0: the days of Joseph McCarthy, doesn't it?
2: Well, it's bizarre. But, I mean, <laughs> people I – don't. I don't think people who are outside the fundamentalist right in this country – or whose only involvement with them is through their pro-life, their supposed pro-life um, orientation, understand the degree to which they are truly the authoritarian right wing in this country. And they are – they have heavily allied themselves. They're, it's not a surprise that the NRA is a tool that the Russians are using. So, so back to the student. Yeah. I mean, so she, she has been a liaison to these organizations for the Russians – whether she's truly a Russian agent in the sense of what she's being charged with. In fact, they charged her with being an unregistered agent. They didn't really charge her with espionage. Well, you can
0: be an agent as long as you're registered?
2: Absolutely. You can, you <laughs> okay. can be – well, that's that's part of what's going on in Manafort II and others, right? They, they were unregistered agents. Flynn was an unregistered agent. Right, okay. So my point is that the there is, through – Trump's compromise – now, Trump's compromise is not with Putin. Trump's compromise is through Central Asian business dealings he's had for a long time. There's no question he's compromised. And Putin knows it and Trump knows it. So obviously that's one lever that Putin has over Trump because it's about business. Trump could care less if it comes out that he's paid off 100 women because they'll give him – they'll give him the mulligan, remember? Right? How many mulligans does one get? He'll, he'll, he'll get an <laughs> indefinite number of mulligans for his sexual uh, peccadillo. I don't think
0: I don't think the Irish ever intended it to be used in multiple multiple occasions. Well, nevertheless, <laughs> what
2: Trump really doesn't want to be found out is as is, as broke, bankrupt, and completely beholden to central Eurasian interests, which
0: is what he is. But he doesn't mind having already filed for bankruptcy on, what, four or five different occasions?
2: But it's worse. <laughs> but the point is it's worse than that because he still presents himself as a multi-billionaire, and he's mm-hmm. not. He's worth nothing. That's why the tax returns are never going to come out. He isn't worth anything. All this money – plus he's been money laundering for the central Eurasian interests. All this money that suddenly appeared that no. he's paid cash for these golf courses –
0: where did that come from? How do you prove that he's been money laundering for Central Asian business interests? That's actually be relatively easy. Okay, That's what's going well. on in New York. That's what's going on in the Southern District
2: of New York. That's what's much more interesting. But my point is that, yes, I understand he betrayed the intelligence community. Let, let, let's step back a little bit here. Since when did the FBI and our intelligence communities become such uh, you know, objects of ardor from the left, these are the same intelligence organizations that were spying on groups in the 1960s, right? Illegally, yeah. Right, right. Frank Church Committee found that out, right? Yep. This is the same FBI doing the same sorts of things of J. Edgar Hoover. All of a sudden, it's. It's all about patriotism to be with our intelligence organizations.
0: Right? <laughs> that may be a short-lived marriage between the left and
2: the – Right. But nevertheless, I, I, I just – I can't go over the top the way everyone did that he said that, OK? Um, that it, it's completely out of line and it shows his weakness in, in, in front of Putin. Do you buy his
0: uh, Do you buy his explanation that he meant to say wouldn't? Oh no, of course not. I don't buy it. Does that. anybody buy that? No, nobody buys it. Well, I think a few a few Republicans but do. But you know, but, but, not you know many.
2: but you and Joseph were talking about something which I think is important to remember that the you know, the Democrat the Democratic Party is not a peace party. The Democratic Party is just as much in the thrall of the military-industrial complex in this country, as the it has, its, the, it, the Republicans it has
0: its candidates and, and lawmakers that are committed to a more peaceful approach to. But Hillary Clinton wasn't dem- one of them. No, <laughs> no Hillary Clinton <laughs> is not one of them. Right, and neither was Bill Clinton. Correct, and neither was President Obama. Correct, right. So I don't remember the last time we had a I mean, maybe maybe the maybe the last time we had a president that was really committed to peace was uh, Eisenhower, not a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I.
1: Crack, well, crack, crack he, he turned. No, no, what about he,
0: Kennedy. I
2: don't know. He well, he you know, Eisenhower termed the military-industrial complex because he understood what was going on. Yeah, he'd been a part of it. And he un- yeah, he well, understood he, it. Not it's not it's, part it's of a federal it's not, works right. project. Yeah, you know, and so you no, know, of course, what Trump said was outrageous. But I, I, I think again, the mainstream media, and and you know, you watch the mainstream media, it's over and over and over and over. I've heard it already. Let's get a little deeper into this story. Let's cool. ask about what is this relationship between the NRA and the Russians? Because this story has been out there for months now. You know what, what's going on here. What's going on is that we have we have a third front in this country, and the third front is fundamentalism. And yes, it masquerades as a pro life movement, but it is truly under its underneath that a truly
0: authoritarian. Well, movement. What do you mean by third front? Third to what are the other two?
2: Well, to our you know sub- our conservative Republican movements and our somewhat socially conscious Democratic movement,
0: you know. But okay, but that but then but that uh, that third front you talk about is is firmly ens- ensconced within the Republican Party. Now it has taken over the Republican <clears throat> Party. That's correct. Taken over? Yes, I don't think there's any question
2: because the only people who will stand up to Trump are ones who are retiring, and <laughs> and everybody else has basically thrown their lot with Trump, and Trump is right. surrounded and enthralled by people who believe, as he does, in authoritarianism.
0: But they're, they're, they're not just uh, conservative Christians. They're also very conservative economically.
2: Well, and they're also authoritarian <clears throat> in the sense that they want to impose their culture. Hmm. They don't believe in the Constitution, or at least they don't believe in the Bill of Rights. And they do believe that they have the right as the righteous minority to impose their will on
0: everybody else, and that's exactly what they're using Trump to do. I want to continue this conversation, Charles, but I want to take a second to thank underwriting provided by Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, located at Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Uh, Cinco de Mayo serves authentic Mexican food at affordable prices. Uh, Visit 5demayomr.com also want to uh, recognize the underwriting provided by Bold Iowa. Bold is a state organization working to build rural and urban coalitions to address climate change and related issues. Visit boldiowa.com. And again, I want to recognize the underwriting provided by Gateway Marketing Cafe. Gateway is located at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood of Des Moines. Uh, Gateway offers a full line of grocery items, a catering service, and a cafe open for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Uh, details at Gateway Market. Dot com. All right, so uh, back to our conversation with uh, Charles Goldman. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about this. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 think, uh, I, I think we need to come back and revisit it and see how things play out over the next couple, three weeks, because um, I don't think th- there's so many stories here that aren't going away, and that as we dig into them, we're probably going to find more and more problems that could become more, more and more challenging for the Trump administration and for his viability as president.
1: Well,
2: all, you know, all I would say is is that you know your first conversation today um, was about the Supreme Court, and as Joseph points out, there's a group of justices who are in the bullpen, who are there. They have been groomed to believe in executive power and authoritarianism, and they have managed somehow to turn the Federalist Papers on their head, and now believe that executive power was what the founding fathers were talking about. I mean, there is a justice in Texas who's in the bullpen, he's on the Court of Appeals down there, who literally made a decision in which he said, the rich have the right to bribe public officials to allow them to pollute the air and the water, because that is their right. That is their only way that they can get their will done. And he's, and then he finished by saying,
0: and now I'm not being doctrinaire. <laughs>
2: These are the people who are on that list.
0: Yeah. Usually when somebody says they're not being doctrinaire, they are. Just like when somebody says, it's not all about me, they usually mean it's about me. (laughs) Well, of course. I mean, everyone always projects projects themselves on others, yeah. Okay, so what about this story? Changing gears a bit here. Sure. That um, human, quote, fingerprints were detected in temperature changes. This was um, research just released um, in a study published in the peer-reviewed journal, Science. Um, it uh, I should note one of the highest impact peer-reviewed journals
2: in any field is science. No, I mean, so it's, it's not a, it's not some magazine that's made up so people can get published. This right. is one yeah, of the most this, serious things. No, oh,
0: yeah, journals. this is, yeah, this is, right. this is this, this is is serious stuff. the serious, yeah. Right. So um, the conclusion is that, that there is no, quote, natural way that temperatures could have changed this dramatically, this quickly. Without the influence of human initiated fossil fuel driven climate change um, it's it's the and, and again i don 't the science to me i don 't understand how this works, but I respect the science just
2: like well this is this is this is from ice cores in Greenland in which they can you can measure the changes in temperature based on the uh, change in the width and the character of the ice cores, right. and my, what we know is that when well, you start seeing charcoal and evidence of carbon burning in these ice cores is when you see the rapid acceleration of uh, temperature okay. and, change, and, that, and
0: that's the human fingerprint that they're talking it about. Is, yeah. is the appearance of carbon? I just surprised that it's taken this long to discover that fingerprint because that that kind of uh, exploration in those in those in those ice samples has been going on for a while. That's correct. But, I'm surprised because it's been
2: out there in yeah. in the literature for quite a while.
0: So, uh, but scientists. Um, uh, they're saying this is the first time scientists have identified a quote human fingerprint on Earth's atmosphere uh, in a new place in the troposphere. And I, again, I I don't know why there's been any discussion about whether or not climate change is happening. But do you think this this new evidence, this new information, this new uh, this new way of tagging the clear, you know, on un- an un- undeniable human connection to climate change? Is, what's going to be the response from the denial community, which, again, is shrinking, but it's not shrinking fast enough for a government to, and business to say, hey, we've got an emergency. Let's do something. Do you think this will be – is this possibly going to be what puts us in the direction of true action on climate change? Um, no. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well,
0: that's not it's the not, answer I want to hear. Well, it's
2: not good for business. Actually, Bill McKibben wrote a piece just recently saying that the uh, tripling of the – uh, melting of Antarctica has already changed the discussion in many places outside the United States. In the United States, the only reason people are deniers is, is there's a few who actually believe it, but mostly it's because they're paid to believe it. Yeah. Uh, and well, I, I, that, I think it's also that people are afraid to believe it.
3: Well, let, let's, 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 let's
2: do a little reality check here. 98% of everything that has survived on Earth at one time, is extinct now. That means plants, flora, and fauna. Right. So the, sure, but, the, but the, there's.
0: The, I don't think there's a single species that orchestrated well, well, its own extinction. That's correct. We,
2: we will be unique in orchestrating our own extinction. But you know, I, I understand there are people out there who believe the Earth is five thousand years old. It's not. <laughs> so um, <laughs> six, 6, 6 thousand right, years, right. 6, 6, years, years, years old. Six thousand years old. We've been by our producer. It's six thousand. Six thousand years old. Um, but it's not. The, the universe is over 4 billion years old and the Earth is somewhere in the range of 3 billion years old. And during that time, we have gone through myriad, number, myriad of, of extinctions, which has almost completely wiped out Earth, uh, life on Earth before. And we are no different. Right. The question but, is yeah. we're smart and we should be smart enough to see it coming. And yet we seem to be unable to rally to do anything about
0: it. So uh, your, your candid prognosis, uh, Dr. Goldman, uh, how, how is the, uh, is the patient on life support? Is there hope? I
2: think we're getting further and further into a point of no return. I think we can mitigate to some degree what we've done. I have said this before. I don't understand why it wouldn't be good business to do all the things that we can do to reduce the use. I mean, we're using a technology in which we burn something to boil water to drive an electric generator. When we have the capability to directly make electricity without any intermediary. From the sun. Right. So yeah. we're essentially using analog technology. It's like using your Fisher Victrola from the past to play
0: music <laughs> instead of MP3s. When are we going to grow up? Yeah. Well, again, I think I think part of it is habitual. Part of it, part of it is fear of Of the, uh, you know, we don't want to admit that uh, we're on this 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 road to destruction. Um, And again, there's there's money involved. I mean, the U.S. is just it just has just became the largest oil producer in the world. Who saw that coming a a decade ago? And And, what's what's the price of that been? The price of that been has been derailments like we just saw in Northwest Iowa. In Northwest Iowa, a a huge tar sand spill. I I went up there with uh, David Thorson and Christine Nobis this past week and. And, you know, even though the mainstream press will publish a tiny article that's basically just the press release from the railway company responsible for the spill, it's a big deal. You, you go up there and they've accredited an entire village to try to deal with the spill. And, you know, in the conversation... Well, you see, oil and gas is an employment driver. Well, yeah, I
3: know, I know. The, <laughs> I mean, the cleanup gonna- jobs are going to be numerous, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's just, it's
0: just um, you know, how how do you... um. How do you get people to talk about I mean, I, actually, we did. We had a really good story in the local paper up there. We, 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 got, we, got, we, we got a conversation going about it's not just about whether oil should be transported on trains or, 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 um, or by pipeline. It's not just a concern about the land and the water and all those things are important. It's also the question of most underlying, underlying all this is the question of why we're even continuing to extract, transport, and consume fossil fuels when we have all this evidence from science that's just getting more and more ponderous every day and again i i you know I, it's hard for me to know it's hard for any of us to know how all this will play out but the bottom line is if we take action as dramatically and as quickly as possible toward reducing our carbon footprint towards sequestering what we've been what we've already put up in the atmosphere and to designing a new way of living on this planet We've got a fighting chance to get out of this. That's my thought. Well, I think there's two problems. The first problem is the direct costs of extraction
2: are hidden from most people's view because they're done out in rural areas that people don't see. You know, so the spill is in the middle of nowhere in northwestern Iowa. On the other hand, the people who say, wow, oil and gas, this is great, You know, it's cheap and everything else, don't have to deal with the fact that in Miami there are streets that flood every day.
0: Right. Sea, know, sea level rise.
2: That Norfolk, Virginia's the, the uh, Navy base there is going to have to be completely rebuilt right. because it's underwater half the time. Yeah. So no one is seeing it. And that includes the people out in Silicon Valley who soak up huge amounts of electricity, running servers and everything else, and where do they think
0: the electricity is coming from? I think using the term soak up when we're discussing an oil spill is, <laughs> is, a, is, a, is, a, is a term of art well, that, was, that was brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. All right. So, folks, we've been talking with uh, Dr. Charles Goldman. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation in a bit on our community-owned stations to discuss the uh, uh, Trump version of prison reform. I want to take a second to thank uh, Lorraine at 1260 AM and 96.5 FM, our home station here in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, thanks to my producers, Maddie Kane and Medea Palma here in the studio. And, uh, again, we'll, we're broadcasting live every Monday at 11 o'clock Central Time. You can catch part of the show on our live stream, and we'll be, we'll be providing so a podcast.
3: providing on God, who knows what the fates have in store From their vast, mysterious sky I'll try hard those lips that I adore, but how long can anyone try, when an irresistible force... Well, welcome back to the Fallon Forum, again we're broadcasting
0: from Iowa, and uh, Charles, Iowa made the news again this week for... A reason we haven't been in the news nationally or internationally for a while and that is a string of really bad tornadoes and I'm still not quite sure how many there were. I've heard as many as five, I've heard as many as 23. At any rate, uh, I did go to Marshalltown and it was, uh, it, I, it was, the damage was a lot worse than I imagined and these are tornadoes that have been, um, we haven't seen tornadoes as strong in Iowa in I think three years now and again, this is nothing un- unusual. Right, we,
2: we are in Tornado Alley. We're the
0: northern part of <laughs> the Bible Belt and Tornado Alley. <laughs> so, maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe there's no <laughs> connection between those two things. But, but you know, this, tornadoes happen. But um, there was a lot of them at one time. Mm-hmm. The Another incredible thing about this was that now, I live 10 miles from where the nearest tornadoes hit. We had no clue. The sky was sunny. There was no wind. We had not a drop of rain. We, we were shocked to learn that just up in Bondurant and Altoona, there, there were tornadoes. And again, the one in Marshalltown, it hit that, that city really hard. I, I was, it looked like a war zone. I, I, I visited there three days after the tornado hit and I was really just shocked to see how much carnage there is. And, the, and I say carnage. About property and trees and whatnot, but not a single person was killed. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. That is amazing.
2: Well, same thing in, in Pella. I mean, they had, uh, I think Vermeer was completely destroyed. And and again, there were no fatalities.
0: Yeah. So in Vermeer and also Lenox, two, two mm-hmm. major central Iowa businesses uh, for, mm-hmm. I mean, really important businesses in those two small towns, uh, nail hard. And I don't. I don't know why this particular set of tornadoes had a, a business vendetta, but, uh, <laughs> but then, uh, yeah. if only it hit Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't know. Can, can we can, can a tornado uh, can, a, can, a, can a system sustain a tornado all the way from Iowa to Mar-a-Lago? That would be quite a sight. But uh, you know, I mean, and and it's always easy to say, well, look at this. This is climate change. You know, well, these things do happen. There's, there's nothing that unusual about this but you know you put all these things together the number of tornadoes the multiple tornadoes out of one system out of one cloud even um, the uh, the um, the uh, you know the the um, fact that just very very close by nothing happening at all not even dark skies those are kind of unusual features and I don't know whether you can attribute those to the the types of weather changes predicted by climate scientists but they, they do catch one's attention
2: well uh, you The climate scientist doesn't need to predict the weather. Climate scientists are predicting climate. And it takes very little change in water content and the, the heat in the oceans to alter climate. And that's what people, I think, have trouble... Kind of understanding is that yeah. it it's it's not this cataclysmic change. Right. It takes very little perturbation off the equilibrium yeah. to see things change dramatically. Well, bottom line is,
0: in here in here in central Iowa, yes, uh, for those who've been inquiring, help is needed. Um, I, I spoke with a police officer in Marshalltown last night. Who actually, this is funny. He. Uh, he recognized me, and then he thought I was Fred Hubble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, "No, so, Fred dresses much better than me." Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's uh, there. There's you know there's there's there are things people can do to help. Right now, mostly it's uh, it's monetary, and of course thoughts and prayers. But I think again of those three, monetary support is probably what's needed more than anything. All right. Thanks for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum, folks. Uh, Charles Goldman and I signing off from uh, Lorena at 12:60 a.m. 96.5 FM in Des Moines.
3: Your lips were like a red and ruby chalice Warmer than the summer night The clouds were like an alabaster palace Rising to a snowy height Each star, its own aurora borealis Suddenly you held me tight I could see the midnight sun can that explain the silver rain that found me, or was that a moonlit veil? The music of the universe around me, or was that a nightingale? And then your arms miraculously found me, suddenly the sky turned pale, and I could see the midnight sun. Was there such a night? It's a thrill I still don't quite believe But after you were gone There was still some stardust on my sleeve The flame of it may dwindle to an ember And the stars forget to shine And we may see the meadow in December